So this part of the book of Revelation, as we study it, it's a lot like uh, one of those announcers who's announcing a boxing match or a wrestling match, you know, fighting out of the red corner. We have the dragon and the beast fighting out of the gold corner, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's, it's, we're, inter- we're being introduced to these uh, different characters, and it's, this whole thing is heading for a showdown, a big, a big battle, and uh, we're going to take a look at what that looks like later in the book. But we're not just looking into the future. When we see these characters described, they really do describe the reality of our world today. And it reminds me, I heard it described recently, that the book of Revelation is not like a jigsaw puzzle, where we have all these pieces and we're trying to put them together, and if we put them together right, we get a picture of of the end of time. It's not that we're trying to put a puzzle together or crack a code. Um, Really, the book of Revelation is more like a discipleship manual. This is instructions on how to follow Jesus in our day not just for future generations, not just for the first readers either, but really for all of us. Um, And and, and most of Revelation is describing the time between uh, Jesus' first coming and his second coming. Um, But so we're going to look at this image today, and it really is a kind of a crazy image. It's another one of those weeks where I think, ooh, there's going to be people visiting our church for the first time again. And I've had this thought more frequently over the last number of weeks, or people uh, watching online, and I think, ooh, what will they say? You know, I went to that church on Elm Street, and they talked about dragons and beasts and all these crazy things. And um, I would argue that this cre- all these crazy things really describe how our world works. Um, God's word makes sense of our world, and it makes sense of our world better than other ways of trying to understand and navigate the world. And there's plenty of people in the world who are trying to... Uh, navigate our world or make the world better apart from God and apart from the Bible and apart from God's way, they just, people say, look, if we just, if we evolve and just get better and if we could just get along and respect each other, the world would be a better place. You know, if we just had, if we just educated people better and advocated for people who needed advocacy and we just all kind of improve ourselves, the world will be a a better and safer and, and more harmonious and peaceful place. I'm telling you today that's not how the world works. The world does not work that way, that we can just try harder and do better at being kind and loving and that the world will just improve. Here's the reality of our world. We see this in uh, Revelation 13.8. It says, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. The reality of our world and the way that our world works is that you either worship the beast or you worship the lamb. You either are on the side of Satan or you are on the side of Jesus. So the question this begs of us is who are you worshiping? Which side are you on? And here, unless you're worshiping Jesus, you're worshiping this beast. We were all wired to worship. That's how the world works. That's how God created the world for his own glory. So everything in the world, including every person, was made in such a way to be able to give glory to God, to be able to reflect God's image in this world and and worship God. But 
Sin enters the world. We turn from God's way, and we do it other ways, and all those other ways are paths of destruction and lead us away from God. Uh, So because of sin, we put other things on that throne, and we worship them, and we pledge our allegiance to them when God desires for us to pledge our allegiance to him alone. So we want to look at the two sides of this battle today and kind of introduce you to the so the false trinity, this unholy trinity of characters that we see described here. But they really do describe the spiritual dynamic of our world. So let's pray. Father God, as we approach this, we, we've come to this place not to escape this world and all of the troubles of this world, Lord. We've come here to seek you, to seek to worship you, to seek to experience something of your presence and of your people. We've come here to seek your way. Through your word, Lord. So I pray that um, rather than escaping this world, that this would be a time where we are equipped to live as your people in this world. So Lord, help us to understand the world even better today as a result of, of what you show us in your word, Lord. So may it be we ask that you would teach us now. We do pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So we're going to introduce you to the three members of the false trinity here. The first is the dragon. We meet the dragon in chapter 12. The dragon seeks to destroy Jesus and seeks to destroy Jesus' followers, if you read chapter 12. And we are told clearly in Scripture that this is Satan. Uh, Revelation 12.9, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. So dragon, serpent, Satan, devil, it's, this, is, this is the enemy of God and the enemy of God's people. And, and this enemy is at work in our world. So how much, credit, how much credit should we give the devil? You know, when you see something evil in the world or somebody does an evil act, is that just an evil person doing an evil thing or is that Satan doing Satan's thing? And... We don't know. Most people would say, well, that's just an evil person making an evil choice because of, you know, their reality. But Revelation allows us to see the unseen realities of the world. It gives us a window into that world. A pastor, I heard a pastor recently joke, it's like, he calls it Windows 95. So a lot of you here don't even know what that is. But Windows 95 is written around 95 AD, and it gives us a window into unseen realities. So when someone does something evil, that is an evil choice that a person is making. But there is a, there's evil spiritual influence behind it. Uh, so, and, and again, right from the very beginning, Adam and Eve in the garden, they choose to go away from God's way. They disobey God, but there's the serpent is there, the dragon, the devil, the deceiver is there, and they make a bad choice. Even as followers of Jesus, we experience that spiritual dynamic. We experience the deceiver, and it's described in the Bible as arrows that are shot at us. And we feel getting shot by these arrows, whether it's a a desire that we don't want, or something that's an impure thought, or doubt, or lies that get shot at us. And we feel that spiritual reality. We experience it. And this is the truth of our world, that there is... Behind all the evil, there is a spiritual influence behind that. And how exactly that dynamic plays out is hard to, it's hard to know exactly how much of this is me, how much of this is Satan, but these things are in a dynamic with each other. And it's been that way uh, since the beginning. But Satan doesn't work alone. So Satan's the first member of our false trinity. The second member is the beast that comes out of the sea. 
So the first part of chapter 13, we see this beast emerging from the sea, and it's a hideous beast, and it has seven heads and ten crowns, and it has a wound on one of its heads, which is interesting because we've already seen Jesus depicted as a lamb who looked as if it had been wounded and killed, and now we have this beast that looks like it has been wounded and killed, but it's very much alive. This beast blasphemes God, and this beast sets itself up as an object of worship. So people begin to worship the beast, and they worship the dragon who gave the beast its authority. And this really is a false messiah. It's a false, sort of, if, if the dragon is, sort of represents God the Father, then this beast is sort of trying to mimic Jesus, God the Son. The background of this beast, the imagery that describes this beast, we, we've seen it before in the Bible, in the Old Testament. The prophet Daniel describes almost the same kind of beast. So that helps us to understand what we're looking at here. So back in the time of Daniel, the prophet Daniel, he had this dream. He had a vision, and he saw a number of beasts that were coming up uh, out of the water. One looked like an eagle one looked like a bear, one looked like a leopard, and one looked like it had horns. Here in Revelation, we see one beast that looks like an eagle, a bear, a leopard, and with horns, but it's all one beast with a lot of different heads. But it's essentially the beast of Daniel, the four beasts, all kind of squished together into one. Now, back in Daniel, it explains what it means. It gives us the it tells us how to interpret this. So these four beasts are four nations of the world, four kingdoms, literal kingdoms on earth, uh, most likely Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. These are four kingdoms that were going to oppress God's people in different ways, and they really did. And so here, the image is of kingdoms of the world, but it's all kind of one unit. It's one thing. It's highly symbolic here. So it's not one you know, identifiable nation or person or beast, but it's sort of a conglomeration of all these anti-God and anti-Jesus systems of our world or um, institutions of, of the world. So today, so does this beast exist today? And I would say, yeah, in various forms, the beast is very much alive in our world. There are nations of our world that are strongly anti-God and anti-Christian. I think of nations like Iran, or China, North Korea, Afghanistan. These are places where Christians are persecuted, sometimes arrested, imprisoned, at times beheaded or killed in different ways. These are nations where they are actively, systematically seeking to stamp out Christianity and followers of Jesus. So yes, this this beast is very much alive in our world. But again, I see it not just nations of our world, but any system Any evil system that's inspired by Satan is the beast. Any system that stands against the kingdom of God. So it could be a political system. It could be an economic system, a military system, a social um, ideology, a philosophy, a religion of the world that stands against Jesus. Anything used by Satan to to deceive people and destroy God's work in this world, that's the beast. That's the beast that comes up out of the sea. For example, I'm going to give you some examples of this. The philosophy of racism and ethnocentrism, I believe, is the beast. 
that it is a, a system of thinking that seeks to elevate one race or ethnicity of people over another as superior. And we know that we are all created in the image of God and that, that racism and racist ideologies cut against the good news of Jesus Christ and against God's good design in humanity. I believe that human trafficking is the beast. It is, it's a system that devalues human life and seeks to use and exploit people um, and degrade human life. I believe that sex work is evil in an evil system of our world, um, related in some, in, at times to human trafficking, but also things like por- the pornography industry, which exploits the people who, are, who get drawn into it, and it destroys the people who consume it. It's evil. It's the beast. I believe that abortion is an evil system in our world. And I believe there are certain, there are particularly certain um, aspects or types of abortion that late term or after birth that are particularly evil. And again, these aren't just hypothetical ideas. There are those individuals, even in our own nation, who would promote the killing of living, breathing human beings after birth. That is a hideous system, like a hideous seven-headed beast. I believe that drug cartels are evil systems, that these are uh, institutions, these are organizations that seek to profit off of death, off of people's addiction and off of people's weakness, that they lace things like dangerous drugs like fentanyl into other drugs to make them more addictive, and it makes them more deadly, and it, uh, it's just an evil institution that is at work in our world. I believe that scam artists are part of evil, uh, evil systems where they seek to steal money from people who are vulnerable or people who are deceived. It happened even, even in our church. Somebody was uh, trying to impersonate me online and sought to scam someone in our church, and we were able to head that off uh, before it got out of hand. But th- this is evil where people are just seeking to steal uh, steal from others. There's economic systems that exploit people, um, exploit workers, or are unfair or oppressive to laborers. These are evil institutions. These, any institution that is evil and, per, and goes against God's way and God's will is the beast. It's the beast out of the sea. Satan is using these things to accomplish his will in our world. And I think a seven-headed beast is kind of an appropriate image of these things. It's just a hideous kind of an image. And again, it has different heads. It takes different forms. I could go on and on about all the evils and the evil systems of our world, but I think you get the idea. Now, anytime anybody gives their allegiance to these uh, types of systems, their energy, their devotion to any of these, even philosophies that undergird these, these types of things, um, and really any of these systems that does not acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ in essence, is guilty of worshiping the beast. You can see how Revelation helps us to see the world that we live in. Actually describes the world that we live in a little more accurately than other ways we could try to describe the world. So we've got Satan, we've got the beast from the sea. So the third member of our unholy trinity is the beast that comes out of the land. So there's a second beast, and this beast emerges from the earth, and he this beast is speaking in such a way to deceive people to follow the first beast. Other places in the book of Revelation, the second beast is described as a false prophet. 
So speaking a message that is false, that to deceive people to worshiping the beast and the dragon, the first beast and the dragon. So just like the Holy Spirit of God empowers us to worship Jesus, uh, sustains our, our life and our worship, now we have the, the false spirit, the false messenger um, to deceive people the false prophet. Again, I don't believe that this is a specific individual, the false prophet. Um, Perhaps there might be an ultimate, you know, at the end of time, one identifiable false prophet, but I believe that the the false prophet exists in our world today. It's all false religions and false teachings about Jesus. Jesus said, Jesus himself told his followers, he said, watch out for false prophets. There's going to be false prophets in this world. The, the early Christians, if you read the New Testament, they, one of the problems in the church was that there was false prophets. So that, you know, right from the beginning of uh, people following Jesus, there's been false teaching, and it's, it's a huge problem. You know, the early readers of this letter, if, if you describe the beast out of the sea, they would have said, oh yeah, that's Rome. That's definitely Rome. You know, the church had a, a okay relationship with the Roman Empire for a very short period of time, but then it got bad really fast, and Christians were being oppressed and imprisoned and killed. Uh, and they would say, you know what, the false prophet here that's described, oh yeah, that's the, 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 the priests who promote Caesar worship and emperor worship and false worship. They're the ones who promote this evil institution. They work, they work together. And the early readers would have seen that. And we see we see these two beasts. We say, yeah, one is the false institutions that do not honor God, that promote evil, and then the rest is the philosophies and the teachings that promote those things. There's no shortage of false religion in our world. All world religions are not the same. It would be uh, easy or convenient to believe that they were all the same. Okay, we're all just taking different paths up the same mountain, all world religions are not the same. All systems of belief, are, there are, um, they're not the same. Christianity is uniquely, there's a lot of unique aspects of our Christian faith. It's uniquely historic because it, it describes the, God's interaction with nations of people and the work, particularly the work of a historic person, Jesus Christ, God who came and who lived and died and rose again, and we have an empty tomb, and we have all these historic uh, aspects of our faith. We also understand in Jesus Christ the grace of God in ways that other world religions do not understand, that we, our acceptance to God isn't because we've performed our religious duty, but because he's extended his grace to us, his people. And all other religions, all other philosophies are deceptions. And yes, we want to coexist with people of other faith systems. We want to love them and care for them, particularly our neighbors, our loved ones, family members who practice other religions. But they are, we believe they are false. They, they come from false prophets. It's deception. And I stand by the truth that Jesus is the way, and I don't apologize for saying that. Even the fact that as a follower of Jesus, it's scandalous for someone to stand up and say Jesus is the only way. Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the words of Jesus. And his early followers said, there is no other name on heaven and earth by which you must be saved except the name of Jesus. Jesus is the only way. 
So I don't apologize for believing that or for saying that. And yes, we love people, but we know that there's false prophets, there's false prophets and false teaching in the world, and it upholds systems that do not honor Christ. Now, I do need to mention here that this false prophet, this beast out of the earth, has a mark, this 666. And I just want to address that uh, briefly here. Let me reread these verses. Um, Because you've probably heard of this before in one way or another. Probably in a strange way, but here we go. Verse 16, it also, it, the beast out of the earth, the false prophet, also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. Now, as we've interpreted most of Revelation, this language is highly symbolic, uh, probably not literal number or a literal mark. We understand the mark of the beast as Satan's version of God's mark and his seal on his people. So we looked at that, right? God went and he, he marked out all his people. He placed a seal on them. We know that God's seal on us, his people, is his Holy Spirit. So it's a spiritual mark. It's not a, we don't believe that Christians will literally one day have the name Jesus tattooed across their forehead. And, and walking around. So you say, oh, you have Jesus tattooed on your forehead, and then people who follow the beast will literally have the number 666 on their body. Um, we believe these are both symbolic things. True, but symbolic. Um, think of it like this. If God is perfection, and seven is the number of perfection, so you have the triune God is 777, that the false trinity, that the, the dragon and his beast fall short every time, six, 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 again and again and again. A false, um, a false worship, a, a, a false way of, of life falls short everywhere. And really, the, the mark of the believer, if it's the spirit, you can't see it as a tangible mark, but you can see it by the fruit that it produces in the life of the believer. So you know somebody has the spirit because the fruit of God's spirit is alive in them. And you know somebody who has the mark of the beast because the fruit of darkness will be alive in them. So it's not, it's not a computer chip. You can't stuff it in a vaccine. Um, you can't accidentally get the mark of the beast. Okay, if we understand this correctly, and people ask me that, you know, oh no, what if I accidentally you know, shot the mark of the beast into my body or something like that? So don't worry. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. His stamp is on you, and, the, and you will not accidentally get the stamp of the beast. It just, it's not possible. Uh, but here we have the complete false trinity, right? So the devil seeking to um, take the place of God the Father. We have this beast out of the sea that seeks to imitate, uh, the, you know, it's kind of a false Messiah, a false Christ uh, taking the role of Jesus, and here we have the false prophet sort of trying to steal the role of God, the Holy Spirit. So you have this false trinity, and now they're standing against in chapter 14, as was read for us. Uh, we have the Lamb, that's Jesus, and his followers, and it's the 144,000, which we've seen is kind of the all of the perfect number of all of 
God's people. His name is written on them, you know, his spirit. They're singing a new song together. Um, they're, they're, they have not devile, defiled themselves. They're, they're described as being pure, that there's no deceit or lies. They're following the truth. And now we've got a showdown between the, the false way and the, the way of, of God and Jesus. And the question is, whose side are you on? Because God's word says you, you're going to worship one or the other. See, this is all very symbolic, but it's very real. This is a very real description of the spiritual realities of the world that we live in today. How do we worship the lamb? How do we worship Jesus and not worship the beast? Not worship the dragon? Well, we know that our worship isn't limited to what we do here on Sunday mornings as we gather and worship, and this is part of our worship. But we know that worship of the lamb is something that happens day in and day out as we do not conform to the evil patterns of this world, but we are transformed by the renewing of our minds as we live our lives as acts of worship, living sacrifices, as Scripture describes it, experiencing the Holy Spirit day by day, that we're being transformed and renewed. That's why God's Word is so important. That's why we read your Bible every day. That's why we make that a big deal, because we're taking God's Word and the truth of His Word and taking it in so that we can make those decisions moment by moment to follow the lamb and to not, not fall into this, to this evil. And it's God's his, his power and his presence that will motivate us to live for him. Let us pray. Father God, we pray, uh, we pray your protection because we live in a world of spiritual reality where there is a battle, where there is an enemy, and all the agents and all the, the systems that our enemy uses to to work against you in your way, Lord. We today recommit ourselves. We pledge our allegiance to you alone. We, we give our worship and our hearts to you alone, Lord. And we pray that you would transform us to become more and more um, your people, more and more like Jesus uh, as we walk in this world, Lord. So we thank you that you protect us in that. We thank you that you empower us to live for that. And I pray that we would be true prophets, that we would be uh, speaking a message that brings life to our world and to those around us, Lord. And may it all be for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.